Hi, this is Adam Hastings, and you're listening to the Cherry Jam Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of series four of Cherry Jam, uh, a special uh, episode this week. Myself, Ed Price, and I'm joined by Andy Wyman, who I'm sure many of you will know from Radio Gloucestershire. And obviously, if you visit King's Home on a regular basis or even a semi-regular basis, um, you would have heard of Andy's voice um, over the tannoy announcing the scorers and, and, and chatting to players uh, before the game. Andy, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Great. great. I'm really looking forward to it. Good, good, good. Um, what we'll do is we're going to crack on and, and get straight into it. Um, obviously, this is this week as we're recording is a week where there hasn't been any Gloucester involvement in rugby. Well, there has been. It's been the women's team, but no no men's rugby for Gloucester this week. Um, what do you do on weekends when there isn't any rugby sort of, you know, men's rugby to to follow? What What's your sort of general? Well, well my wife will tell you that I do still follow the rugby because I have watched two games this weekend, but but, but we'll, we'll skip across from that. I mean, I, I we've we live in the forest of Dean. Yeah. So it's, uh, you can great to be out and about mountain bikes. We've got a Labrador, um, got quite a big garden, you know, so sometimes a weekend off is, is just, is just a change really. But usually yeah. there's either a sound or some headphones on or when she sneaked off, I'll sneak in and, and put the highlights on. <laughs> Sounds very similar to me. I'll be honest. Um, I try to, I try to be good. And, and uh, even on, even when Gloucester on away days, I'll, 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 I'll maybe, uh, not watch it live and watch it back, but yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, so I thought I'd start then. Really, got you know, as someone uh, you live in the Forest of Dean. Um, uh, your earliest rugby memories. What what would you say was your earliest rugby memory? Well, I'm a born and bred Lydney boy, mm. so my earliest rugby memories were were down at Lydney. But uh, it, it, we used to start rugby at secondary school when we went to the grammar school, local mm-hmm. rugby there, and then I went to um, join. The Colts team at Lydney, but if you could believe it, we, could, we couldn't get in there. So a crowd of us went up to Bream yeah. to play in the forest. But then back down to Lydney, um, my first senior game for Lydney, first team game, was I was I was 16. I was um, in at the grammar school and the school master was a guy called John Morris, who was um, played for Gloucestershire, uh, played against all the touring sides, Australians, New Zealanders, captain Lydney for years, captain Gloucestershire for years. And he persuaded me to play on a Saturday against Cheltenham. And um, I played hooker, believe it or not. Right. <laughs> which was not my position, but don't worry, says he, I'm putting the ball in. And um, so I played hooker and there was a guy, um, well, a Gloucester player, former Gloucester captain and England player, Gordon Sargent, was one mm-hmm. drop with me at the time. Um, and in the opposition, Phil Blakeway was playing. <laughs> um, um, a- a- Adrian Drake, I think he said, well, John Fiddler uh, was in, in the second row. And um, yeah, it got uh, it got it, it got quite lively. I I was uh, I the first, first scrummage. I didn't realise you shouldn't strike the opposition ball. <laughs> so I struck the opposition ball, and uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it other than say I, my ear was bitten in a friendly right, well, way. Let's yeah. say very friendly way, and it all just uh, it all just broke up. A guy called Dave Provero was the um, was the Chatham hooker at the time, and. Um, it all broke. I squealed like a pig. It all broke up, and it was it was all. I've I've just covered up, you know. And then we mm. went to the next scrum, and everybody started talking, which absolutely blew my mind. What you going to punch the boy for? Well, he hooked my board, didn't he? Well, he doesn't know anything about that, does he? Well, he's got to learn sometime, hasn't he? And I was like completely <laughs> blown away. I, 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 what am I doing? How did I 
get into that. But the, the, the bizarre thing about that was that I was captain of my school team at Lydney. Right. And a few weeks later, we played at Chosen Hill School. Mm. And Dave Prothero was the rugby master at Chosen Hill School. So two weeks before, he bit my ear in the game. And then, hello, sir, you know, we're playing. He was... He was <laughs> so, I mean, that, 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 that was the earliest. Um, but Lydney, I played a lot at Lydney. And then I went mm. to Loughborough Colleges. Yep. But when I went to Loughborough Colleges, I was studying uh, furniture making, really. I, I went as a design student. I, well, I didn't go as a PE student, but then... Um, you could have rugby trials and things there. So I play. I, I played in the rugby trials, even though I played. I was county hockey captain uh, under 19. So, but I went to a Freshers Bazaar and signed on at the rugby club first, and then wandered across to see if I could sign on for hockey. And the guy said, "You can only do one. You know, you're left for colleges yeah. one." And then um, that 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 was quite a surprise. I I um, I did really well at Loughborough. Played some uh, first team rugby. Got into the sevens team, which was fantastic. And we toured all over the country playing sevens. Um, as as a teenager, I played against the likes of JPR Williams, Gerald Davis. They were all playing for London Welsh. So, I mean, they were, you know, on their way uh, to the end, if you like. But um, mm. we were all playing everywhere we went. Old Belvedere, London Floodlit Sevens. The, those guys were playing. But I played with a guy called uh, Nigel Gillingham, mm -hmm. who's now president of the RFU. So he's yep. rocking a little bit more successfully than I have, you could say. Um, <laughs> Alan Wilkins was in the same side. He was the uh, medium pace bowler, played for Glamorgan and Gloucestershire. He does um, commentary on, on cricket at, at Nation now. I think he works for ESPN, one of the uh, companies mm -hmm. out there. And a, a, a little antique salesman from up the road called Phil Serrell. Um, so uh, it, it was a mix of a team, but it it, it was an eye-opener left for because it, uh, it just did give me, you know, if you worked for it, then you got the skills, you, you, you could get there. Yeah, just on the so I mean the, so sevens was a um it was it was probably if I'm honest um that was the style of rugby that I was built for um because I could I could hide mainly um I could you know they they they've run really quickly past me so I didn't therefore technically miss the tackle uh, but equally when I got the ball I'd run really quickly and avoid them hitting me um, which is always fun um, and I I, I you know that all the lads we've all enjoyed our sevens so when was that um when you got into the seven side of things was that a um just an opportunity that, that came up or did you define you took to sevens just particularly well and thought, oh, this is a good luck? It was a big thing at Loughborough. Loughborough Colleges and St. Luke's and Exeter were other um, big side as well. That was always that was always a battle, those two. But what, what happens at, at Loughborough, you play, you know, you're the first team at the time had got a fixture list and played in the UAU Championship. But then once that was over, they switched focus. But uh, Middlesex Sevens, uh, we went to... Every year, you you, mm. you were invited to the Middlesex Sevens, but you had to go uh, and qualify. Right, yeah. Um, and in qualifying one year, I tore my cruciate ligament, which I, I didn't realise I'd done. Um, so it felt a bit weird. But then we flew to old, to Dublin to the Old Belvedere Sevens, and I really did hurt it there. Yeah. But um, I I played nothing for for Gloucester to I I, I suppose I had played against Gloucester for Lydney when I was seventeen eighteen, but then um, so I left Loughborough to come to Gloucester because yeah. they sorted me out with them. An operation to sort of crucial ligament, but in those days they just used to trim it off and clean it up. There was no rebuilding, so that that never did quite work so well. And then when I tore my anterior cruciate in my left knee as well, yeah, I, I was struggling a bit then. So I went back and played for Lydney um, again, and then I had a stab at Cheltenham because Cheltenham still played Moses. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and then I ended up coaching at Cheltenham because I had to finish playing at Cheltenham, and he's finally gave up. 
and ended up, um, I stayed on to be forwards coach. And there was a guy called Bob Redwood who was the overall coach. But then he got, literally before the season start, poached by Gloucester. <laughs> I, I, I was left um, in charge, if you like. And that, that was great for, for a few years. We had a, we mm. had a really great victory, I remember, against Bath uh, one, one year because we'd, um, we just got some good contacts and, and some good players in. Uh, Les Jones is a guy who came and guested for us. Uh, from Matson and Gloucester, good good player to mm. sort of bath over. But then, then I switched into uh, coaching with the County Coats team. Yeah. So that's where I, I I linked up with the likes of I suppose the early days. It was um, Rob Fiddler, mm-hmm. Andy Hazel was in my team. Yeah. Peter Buxton, uh, Tony Window, the two forty twins, mm. Mike Cornwall. Uh, so all those guys played in county teams that I coached. So I knew them. When so when those guys started playing at Gloucester, I I, I sort of knew them already. Uh, it's it, I mean, do you think that there's so much has changed in the last thirty years of professional rugby, for nearly thirty twenty odd, what twenty five, twenty six years of professional rugby? Do you think it's it's a big shame that the likes of say we talk about you talking about Cheltenham and Lydney and several other you know great clubs that. Traditionally, Gloucester would play these teams on a, a. I mean, I remember going even into the ni- mid nineties, late nineties. Gloucester would be playing games against Lydney and Cheltenham. Do you, I mean, it is. Do you feel that it's a shame that we've lost that element of the um, of, of those club fixtures? It, uh, I mean, we're now talking about two different games. Yeah, completely two different games. I mean, at, at the time, it was. Um, at the time, it was exciting because the structure was there was almost. A ladder. Mm. If somebody was playing for Bream and they thought they could play for Lydney, they would go and try at Lydney. If they were at Lydney and they thought they could try at Gloucester, they could go and try at Gloucester. But they came back down as well. Mm. But there wasn't. Let's say there weren't pay slips involved. Let's not no. say there money involved. A little bit of big money. Yeah. <laughs> there weren't pay slips involved, so it, it was a, it was a different thing. And I mean, these days, I, I, I always remember because I I was coaching the county coach team, and then. Um, Obviously, I was I was linking a lot with a lot of Lydney guys, and then then I went back to coach at Lydney when we were in National League Three. So we were playing the likes of Worcester um, and Leeds on on their way up. Yeah, uh, we had a great victory over Leeds in um, National League Three. Fantastic, open flowing game. We won six three. <laughs> tough game, uh, tough game. We all love to see. It was lovely. And we went to Headingley for the return fixture. Nick Nows was the captain, and before the game. Um, they asked me for for an interview for um, BBC Yorkshire or Leeds or whatever it was. And uh, what are you looking for? Well, obviously we are looking for the double. Well, I, I heard I heard the coach go back in. Bill Davis, it was at the time, go back into the danger room and absolutely rip it. Well, they didn't need a team talk really. No. Uh, underneath the crossbar at Elland Road, uh, it says, um, uh, "Headingley, sorry, this is Headingley Stadium." And so as you look up to see the conversions go over. You see, this is Headingley Stadium, right? Mm. The bar. So I was going out onto the field and, and I, I thought Nick Nams was going to string me up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, all of it is it, your involvement in county rugby and, and the, the forest and the, all the rugby in the forest, etc. It's it it shows the, the deep knowledge and, and affection you've got for rugby in the county and obviously Gloucester. Um when did the broadcasting, when did that start to happen for you? When was the sort of the earliest bits of that? Well, it's strange you talk about cup runs because at, at that time, what happened, Sky had bought out all of the rugby 
majorly. So we were getting some sky money at, at uh, the third tier level. Yes. Uh, so we were playing in open cup competitions, if you like. And I remember the radio came down to cover us. I think we played London Scottish. And um, I was going to be sat in the stand anyway, watching. And uh, they asked, would I, would I sit next to the commentator? And and I was I was quite amazed, really, because, hey, I was the senior coach. Was, so what do you think is going to happen here? Well, I'm hoping what they're going to do is go around the back of the line. And he seemed quite amazed when it happened, you know. And I was, <laughs> I was, I was that's what I, I'm hoping they're going to do that. And then from there, um, because Boston very often used to have games on Sundays and things, and Lydney always played on Saturday. Mm. And there was a, it was Harlequins at home, and they asked me, would I go up and do some summarising on the Harlequins game? And I couldn't say anything for the first 10 minutes, because you got, you, you got so wrapped up in the level of rugby that you were dealing with, that the Premiership had sort of, or, or, or the First Division had sort of, got away from it. I certainly didn't go and watch it. And then I just could not believe the speed, the pace, yeah. the physicality. I was just blown away, really. From and so as I said, for the first 10 minutes, I was struggling to speak, you know, but but it, it that that made um, such a big impression on me that uh, once I got into it, I you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I think I just enthused about what I was seeing. So mm. uh, from there, then I was invited again and um, built from there, really. Do you, do you? I mean, even now, do you, do you get do you get surprised by the even now that the 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 intensity, the pace, the yes. physicality? Because it is. Yeah. I mean, I've only ever known professional rugby really. I I started watching um, the final couple of home games of the final amateur year, ninety five, ninety six. That's when I started watching, and I, I suppose you could argue that was pretty. We're near enough professional then, anyway. Compare. I mean. So, I find I find it incredible at times, as you say, the pace, the physicality. Is there anything sort of? I mean, I'm just thinking recently. Is there any sort of standout moments you're thinking recently where you thought, "Christ, that's that's well, yeah, that's I, amazing." I mean, it, the physicality with with all sorts, you can see, and you almost expect that to come in sometimes. But um, were you at the Harlequins game on the Friday night? Yes, the, the Friday night. Mm. So Ollie Thorley had to go off for an HIA. Yeah, a few minutes into the game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lewis Rizamek came onto the field. Mm. I don't think he touched the ball. And Santi Carreras kicked it in behind mm. for him to chase. And you just what? And it was, I think Caden Murley was out on the with it. Yeah. It was as if the others, they were stood still. He just, and it was, it was like a, a hold your breath moment. Because look, how, how is he that fast? He just glided past everybody, and let, you could see them struggling around, trying, trying, trying to get back Bassett, and, and they, they just nowhere near him. He didn't, he didn't score. No, the ball bounced out, didn't it? Rolled yeah, on. But, yeah. but it was just that immediate burst of pace. You thought, oh, that's incredible. It's I mean, I, we were saying that it, it is. He's one of the very few players I can think of when he caught the ball. Obviously, we got we, he scored the try um, to take to to pretty much win the game. Um, it, with about four minutes to go, five minutes to go, whatever it was. But the, he, I think he caught it just outside. So he got the pass from Carreras from just outside the 22 and instantly put his hand up to celebrate. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to have, to know, to yeah. know you're that quick and know you're that, you know, you're that rapid that you know you've scored. It's like the England Wales game the other week when as soon as he caught the ball, you're like, oh, well, he's in. There we are. There's no, there's no one's going to catch him. It must be incredible to be that quick. It, 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 it I mean, he must work incredibly hard at it because mm. I, I I remember his debut at Harlequins. We went we went to Harlequins and uh, 
uh, at the time it was uh, Johan, I suppose, gave him said he was going to have a game up there, and and he just kept kicking it and to mm. chase, kick to chase, and thought, oh, where's he got this idea from? You know, just kick to chase, and that and it looked very naive. And then he got on the end of one. Yeah. <laughs> then you you know that's and then just bit by bit by bit you know it's it's the, the incredible thing with him is that um, so so I I met a lot of these players you know as I say the Hazels the, the the Buxtons and things when I was coaching them but then my my lad went through the academy mm. uh, was in the academy at the same time he was at school at the same time as Sam Underhill yeah um, Lewis Ledlow Holly mm-hmm. uh, Forley. Um, you know, those guys were playing. So they all played in, a, in a, an academy game against Canada. Now, Callum's not playing now. He's, he's you know, discovered you've got to work. And so he's um, a senior engineer. But he went up to watch the game. Uh, he went to watch the game at Saracens, I think. And he's a big guy, my son. He's, you know, six foot one. He trains. He, he he's, he's a big CrossFit sort of guy. Mm-hmm. And his comment was, when he was stood n- near Lewis Reesam on the touchline, he said, I wasn't expecting that. He, no. is, he is a big guy. And not only is he quick, he's a big, powerful guy as well. Mm. You know, and, and, and you, you know, you, you, I might, you might get used to seeing him in week in, week out, and not notice that he's... But um, when, when, uh, when Callum said, he's a big unit, he works really hard on what he does. But I mean that's that's exciting. But then, but then even we, we talk about that taking your breath away. But then Santi Carreras floating through gaps and yeah. holes that, that that makes you catch your breath, doesn't it? It does. Um, and actually, one of the things I, I sort of um, I, I sent a few little uh, pointers and things we were going to know we were going to talk about. And one of them actually, and and we'll come back to a few other bits and pieces about um, your um, your other experiences in rugby um, in a minute, but. Obviously, you now are involved with the club in terms of your uh, role as a stadium announcer. Um, you do interviews before the game um, in the in the grandstand bar. Um, I first, but first, first question: Did you were you daunted by taking over that role from from Graham? Because obviously, for most of us in the stadium, um, I would say, I mean, probably the vast majority, they'd only ever known Graham's voice. Was that quite a daunting? Well, I used to meet Graham in the media room mm. because um, what what normally happens is I I do the um, the summarising of the commentary on away games. So I go yes. with like, Andrew Pugh yep. and we do all the away games. Simon Devereaux does the summarising usually at the home games. Mm. Uh, but what was happening was I I was coming into home games and then I was doing post match interviews with the players and things. And and so Graham was always in the media room beforehand and Graham used to live at Lidbrook you know over in the forest so we used to exchange your know, comments about and you know or, or we used to be ribbed about the idea of oh, you've managed to get out of the forest yeah and so I, I I did know Graham so and I knew what he did if if that makes yeah any silly sense because he would be in the media room with the script because you get a script you yeah. get a script and a running order and timings uh, particularly when you're doing European games because um, sponsors, videos and things crop up and little infills and things. So I I, I got an idea of, of what he did. Um, it, anyway, you know, we, we, we used to natter and have a talk about what are you doing today? Or what are you doing? And, and just mm. swap ideas, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think it's... Did you, as opposed to the other part of that question then, I suppose, is you're comfortable with the role and comfortable with what you're doing. It, but, it, you know, let's be fair, Graham, as I said, was 
not only is the stadium announcer at King's Home, he was a personality within the club yeah. and people, there was, I mean, you know, sadly now departed, but he was a massive part of the day. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think people sometimes underestimate that, that, that bit of the day for people. It's, yeah. it's familiarity. So did, did you find that, um, have you found that adjusting to well, your I, now to, that aspect to, of the day? Well, to be honest, I, I, I really, I really enjoyed the variety. Mm. I mean, I, my, my main role, my main career is teaching. Yeah. I, I've been a teacher for 39 years. I'm uh, ahead of year. So what would happen is that uh, parents' evenings, and you might have to address the hall of parents with, you know, there might be 300 parents in. So you speak to all about what's going to happen with the structure of the evening you're going to see in church down tonight. And then this question and answer from the floor. So um, used to speaking to groups and responding uh, to groups in in my my daily profession, if you like. Yeah. So communication, obviously, in teaching is key. And so it was almost a follow on, if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. The same time as I'm teaching in, in school, uh, you know, I've been playing rugby, coaching rugby, traveling up and down the country with different teams. And then it was like another another progression, if you like, playing, coaching, Ooh, let's you know let's have a look at this yeah but covid has changed a lot of things yeah because pre-covid um as you say it would be interviews up in the lounge uh interview then the bar uh then out onto the pitch and it may well be the crossbar challenge or, mm. or like. i i was i was taken aback the one time doing the crossbar challenge i must have been the only person in king's home who'd never watched is it was it this county Oh uh, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I this did country, not know. Yes. I did not know Daisy May Cooper from, and so I go down to to line up. So and 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 in fairness, the girls who were in were saying, "Oh, um, we've got a special guest today." Down, down. All right, okay, yeah. So we go down behind the posts, and they're all lined up. Right, you got to go. To, and out <laughs> comes Daisy May Cooper. I don't know now, and she's got a a Gloucester shirt on. And uh, she has a go, Mrs. Van. Then she grabs the microphone out of my hand and starts to shout at the microphone. I used to support Swindon Town, but I'm a Gloucester supporter. And I, and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> and I, 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 as I say, everybody was laughing and I was looking around thinking, this is a disaster. And I, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know who she was. And it, you, uh, When that happened, I, when that happened... Um... So I, I I go to the rugby with my dad every week, and my dad. I think I went to the loo, or I'd gone to get a beer at halftime, which is always a, you know, you're never entirely sure at Kingsley how long you're going to be for that. But I remember coming back and he says, "Oh, some drunk woman just got hold of the mic." I'm like, oh, "There you go, <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine." You know, I was with your dad, but she was then up in the lounge afterwards, mm. um, and obviously was great. I think she just sensed that I was a little bit taken aback, and so just 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 come and uh, said hello, which 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 was great. But equally. <laughs> with the crossbar challenge, you used to go out with a few players beforehand and they used to throw the, mini chuck the balls in. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the instruction was if you've got one of these mini rubber balls, come and see one of the stewards in the halftime. Every time, I'm, I'm going to describe him as mischievous, but every time I get between the posts, and there was this little lad with a mischievous look on his face <laughs> every single time. And I, I'd look, and the girls who were. Tearing their hair out, 
How does he do this? Every, every week when he comes in and he's, he's lobbing away at the spots to win a free ticket. And then, then, so next week you go to do it again, there's that same face. Mischievous, let's say he was mischievous. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how on earth he did it. But, uh, but, but since COVID, things have changed, you know. Mm. Um, well, and, and now, as, as with lots of clubs and stadiums, thing, things are changing. So you probably know there's a live Instagram feed. Yep. From, so say last Friday it started at five thirty. Jules was doing the Instagram feed. Katie goes with them. They run the coach. So so here I am in the car park. Players are arriving right from the beginning all the way through. Um, and then and then there's um, uh, another guy in David comes in and does the big screen stuff. So a cameraman follows him around now. Yeah. So he's he does the big screen stuff. And I you know I I do some sometimes I'll do the interviews in the lounges. But I think I must be so. So if they've got Nicky Robinson from BBC Wales can come in and do it, I don't get to do it that week. But you know, <laughs> so, um, so and then I, I I do the rugby stuff on the tunnel. But it, but it's if any stadium now, it, it things have changed, aren't they? Changing all the time. Uh, yeah. Music shows, live show. That then you need to be bringing in varying the audience you're getting in. You, you they've got to be bringing people in from underneath young younger age. Uh, dynamic and a different thing isn't it? It, it it's got to be it's sold in a different way these days a, a much more expanded way i think yeah i i mean I, I so i did a bit of volunteering around the rugby world cup and i did a bit of volunteering around the cricket world cup and um got to see the whole in bowl stuff and and um i did some social media work with the rugby world cup back in 2015 and 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 saw what some of the broadcasters did and and uh, one particularly very entertaining moment is where I ended up in a room. It was me, um, uh, someone from Radio Gloucestershire, two, three, maybe two or three Japanese uh, press and Eddie Jones uh, in the pre-World Cup friendly. And I'm stood there going, what on earth am I doing here? Because this is really bizarre. Uh, and then Eddie Jones looks at me as if I was going to ask a question. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you're fine. Yeah. Um I'd like to ask him a few questions now, but obviously we're a few few years down the line. But um, yeah, it is incredible how the the, the whole process, the whole um, uh, journey for supporters is. I mean, I would say Gloucester, it's a particularly fine balancing act with the crowd. I mean, I don't, I'm sure you remember, Andy, the the incident a few years ago where they tried to play music after a try uh, and how badly that went. Um, do you do you find that is it quite frustrating? Do you think, as someone who's involved in that in the club and all this stuff, did you find that some there's quite a large element of Gloucester fans are quite stuck in their ways in certain aspects of this? I I, I understand it, it, exactly what you mean, um, but what what's happened? What happens is the, the it's I want to I want to use the term big business, but I, it's. Um, there are lots of, well, they have to be making money mm. in, in all sorts of different dynamics to keep the whole thing rolling along. Otherwise, as we've seen in, in, in other areas, it, it can fold apart. And to do that, you've got to be up to date. You've got to yeah. be contemporary, I suppose. But I, 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 I think I'm a bit like you really in that um, it's got to suit the mm. ethos of the club you're with. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, I think we're very similar in lots of ways to Les- the likes of Leicester, Northampton uh, as well, are, are a very traditional, great, fantastic ground, um, loyal support as well. Whereas you go to some stadiums and it's 
it's like a disco on a light show and almost the rugby's incidental yeah you know, you're, you're I, I i'm i'm with you i suppose really there's got there needs to be that balance i mean i come back to the village sometimes and um somebody said andy could you could you get them to turn the music down a bit? I'm trying to talk to my... <laughs> we have the same conversations every week. It's just yeah. I, I, I really feel sorry for Lance and the guys about the, the tunnel system at Gloucester because I don't know how many times you can have a go at it, but uh, other than knocking the whole thing down again. But it's... Um, yeah, I do. I, I feel your pain on the, on, the, on the noise level, the sound levels. It must be very frustrating. You, uh, on the broadcasting... Well, on, the, on the sort of involvement with the club then... Um, You've done a number of years where you've had some involvement with the club and doing little bits and pieces. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're watching and you're more of a fan in that from that point. Have you found it a challenge or how have you how do you keep that sort of professional distance when you're dealing with these guys that, you know, if I was and I, I'm I'm in the very early stages of with the other lads where we've been very, very uh, choosy in who we might want to talk to as part of the club because it, it, you know, we spoke to Jamal and we love Jamal and Jamal's an absolute asset to the club and, and, and what he does off the field is incredible. But if he has a shocker, it becomes a bit of a challenge for us then to go, Oh, he's had an absolute shocker there because we like him. He's like, you know, it's, do you find that's how, how have you found doing that to sort of create that distance yourself? Well, I, I think the thing is, is uh, unfortunate in a way that uh, having played, not, I mean, I didn't ever break my way into Gloucester first team, but having played at quite a decent level, and then having coached at a high, at the highest level, you you get a feel for what the players are going through. You can you can almost see what they're trying to do. I I listen sometimes to um, or, or might look at criticism of of what's happened in a game. Mm. Maybe criticism of individuals, and you know, I, I always think in, in my mind, nobody, nobody, nobody ever goes out to have a shocker. No, nobody ever takes the field to go out and have a shocker. So if it's it's more of a, a question of trying to find out um, what happened and and terminology, not, not what went wrong there. Mm. You know, um, it, it might be Northampton had the upper edge for the first twenty minutes. You, you know, why was that? Mm. Uh, and then you you can get a response of you know what we were aiming to do so and so but that that didn't go well they were get they were they were they had they numbered us at the breakdown first of all and we didn't get any go forward so our ball slow and and you can get a you try and get an analytical response it it can never be a personal thing you can you can never you know because no nobody's going to go out there deliberately yeah. to 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 throw a game but usually I'll tell you what is 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 different. Say, for instance, at Northampton, um, I, I don't I, like. I say I've, I've been lucky in a way that I've gone through phases where I'm interviewing players that I'd coached. Yeah, I'd interview players that I knew. Now, to not not with all of them, but with a certain degree. Like, say, I mean, I arrive at North, um, Northampton and I'm going around the cover to the stadium, and I'm, and I'm, I hear a shout, and it's Lewis Ledlow's dad, mm. because I mean, we used to stand on the touchline at the academy, you know watching the kids run around and we're, we're having a banter about what's going on. So when, if I, you know, some people get, must be fed up to see in my face, I suppose, really, you know, <laughs> level on the players, people around the stadium or I taught, you know, 20 years ago, but um, Lewis is very, I mean, he, if you listen back to his response in Northampton game, no, we, we just weren't good enough. Mm. 
in that first game. And th- th- there's um, th- there's almost like a an honesty, and George is the same. Yeah, very honest. George, yeah, George doesn't try and go around the topic. You know, he will he will tell you that no, we we needed to be more physical in the you know in the, in the first contact area. Or I mean, a, a classic was Dan. We went to Exeter because. Mm. Um, it had been it had come to to like the, what was happening. We were playing catch-up-in games because we were a bit sleepy sometimes, and then we'd be trying to make up 12, 14, 15 points. Yep. So the idea was at Exeter that that wasn't going to happen. So they were really tight, controlled um, things at Exeter, and played field position. And at halftime was it ten all? I think. Yep. Um, but then just couldn't find the gear to take it out of that mode. Then to to work for the spaces and things, but th- but then that's what they say. Yeah, but th- then they they hit their straps before us, and then we're back footing. We haven't got to go forward to try and get our players onto the ball. They're much more nowadays in the in the professional age. Players and coaches, or at Gloucester at least, mm. are much more honest, believable. I'm not quite sure what the term is. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back to the earlier professional days, people, I think the line was, well, we're now we're professional players, we shouldn't be making mistakes. So they didn't want to necessarily admit that they'd, you know, made some mistakes. You know, it, it wasn't a good thing. You, you're not going to stand in front of Olivier Azam and tell him he you'd only hit 30% of his line X that afternoon. You know, it wasn't going to happen. You know, <laughs> you're going to think of another question. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be honest with Ollie and a few of the other lads, I probably wouldn't, yeah push it too much um yeah do you so actually talking about modern rugby then um that I, I always ask i try and ask this question to people who've who've either played the game previously or are fans or have followed it through what are the, what would you say the two, one or two things you would change about modern rugby i i struggle with this term of, of the jack of jackling mm. but i'm i'm we, we have to be mindful of safety in the game. So working hard to bring tackles down. Um, and I, I, we were having this discussion, I was having this discussion the other day uh, with a guy who used to coach at Worcester. And I can remember coaching at the breakdown, but the pace of arrival was slower, was that if you were the first man to the break, some, somebody, one of your, your players had tackled the opposition, you're going in, your first job was to, bri- we used to call it bridging. Bridging, so yeah. Step across, step across the tackler, uh, the tackled man, and then so it's bridge and lift. Hmm. But to do that, you were in a low position. You were sideways on to the opposition that were coming in this way. Um, but now they talk about the idea of the, of the jackler goes over the ball, and I mean it, it's evolved because we've seen the washing machine effect where they would go right over past the ball and then yeah, and then come back on it, put them back in. Well, that's dangerous. Now you can't put your hands on the floor. But the, the thing that I defy anybody really to stand front on, lean forward a good, it's not as if they're doing it when when the ball's at their feet. No. It's a good, you know, 300, 400 metres in front of them. I'd say <laughs> anybody to lean forward like that, support your own body weight, not forward yeah. onto your hands. You, you've either got to have your knees on the opposition or, and you're such a target. I mean, I think some people are too brave for their own good. Yes. Because I, think, I think Sam Underhill would probably be yeah, the one so I would think of board, from that point of view. Yeah, and they're going to be cleared out. But mm. I mean, there, there's another issue. I'm pretty sure that the laws still say to arrive at a rucker or more, you have to bind on one of your own players and and yeah. or the opposition, not charge in, not go through them, no. somebody out of the way like a like a, a bowling ball. But the thing is, every everything's me saying bridge and lift. 
everything's happening at a much, much, much faster. Yeah. So, I mean, there are finer minds than me that are looking around that area of the breakdown. So if I had to pick two things that I think they could do something about really quickly, mm. is for the life of me, I cannot see, why can you not referee putting the ball straight into a scrum? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is, I mean, they, they will analyse and pick out that guy got his foot in front of so-and-so before you put hand on the floor, so he's first to that more, and yet they can't see that the ball... Is going straight to the second row's feet, and mm. then the other thing, which is a simple thing as well, is is the is the, the thrower at the line out. Mm. I mean, you have a look and see how many times they've actually creep, crept into the field of play and their feet. Oh, right. <laughs> and I mean, it, so there, there 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 may be multitude of things that need some depth and thought, but two simple things for me, you know, yeah. why, why on earth can't you just get the ball in straight? Was it um, the other weekend? Uh, was it? It was, um, it was sure. It was Northampton Sale, and yeah, I was about to yeah, say there was. It was the, he, penalized. he penalized cricket feed. Yeah, that's right. Once, once, and then he and did. Then this, they and then the they did it four times in a row afterwards and didn't and do it. Said, what about that one, then? And he said it was. You know, it was okay. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, but I, I do worry about the jackling and at the break, because it for me there's as much danger there yeah. for a concussion as there is in in a tackle. In I think field. that's that's certainly going to be the 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 next area of the game that they're going to look at the tackle height clearly has got to drop um I, and again i i totally agree with you on that i don't think any player goes out to certainly have a shocker and i don't think nowadays any player goes out to intentionally harm somebody i think you know we we all got to remember that that the the amount of adrenaline and testosterone flying around at this level of, of sport is huge. And these guys are massive. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you saw the two Alangi one against um, Northampton of the week. Now, I don't think he aimed to not to, to stick a, an elbow into somebody's face, but clearly there has to be a punishment and there has to be some understanding that you've got to be in control, if nothing else. I think that seems to be the, the biggest thing. If you can keep, if you stay in control, probably a lot of this stuff won't happen. That, I, I think. Spot, I think that's a key word because I mean you, you've only got to think of I mean who on earth invented the term scatter rucking because all, all, all it means is people are coming in and you see it in games where somebody might not even be attached to them all they might not even yeah. have gotten there yet and yet they're taken out behind the ball by a body that comes you know flying through the top but the difficult thing is is that as you say you, Professional game, people are battling week in, week out and are trying to find that point of difference. And for a lot of the time, the point of difference is domination. They would call it domination in the collision. Yeah. You know, have you dominated that collision? Have you dominated that tackle? Well, that's only going to come if you've got the biggest momentum with your 18 stone hitting uh, that record more. But as you quite rightly point out, the terminology has got to be, do they look as if they're in control? Yeah. I think I think that to me has always been the way, and and I get very frustrated when you watch, when I see players, and it, regardless if it's Gloucester or anybody, I I get very frustrated watching it, um, because for me there's two aspects for it. One is that it spoils the game. I mean, no one wants to see people getting sent off and yellow carded for for incidents like this. We all want to see fifteen v fifteen because as soon as you get a red card, it can it totally changes that game, um, but. I get frustrated because you then know that the any conversation, no matter how good that game is going to be, it's all about that one incident and the the issues around concussion, the issues around head injuries or or, or 
you know and it, it's you're you're again you're taking away from how great that game was and you're moving it on to something that actually could be dealt with if players were a little bit more using the well top two inches i suppose yeah absolutely here's the thing how about um i do, I do struggle with some and to, this weekend there have been a couple of crackers the idea of uh the ball going forward in a pass and then they get into this deep conversation about the balls come out of the back of his hand and has oh that was yeah that, that came out a few years ago didn't it about how the when the ball released and and you, the momentum and rule and all that stuff if, yeah if you haven't seen this weekend's um tries mm. Danny Kier created a a great one for Quinns down the side and flipped but when they come to look at it I think he flicked it out of the back of his hand but the ball seemed to come back forward over his over his head and the hooker came around onto it scored in the corner it looked great mm. it looked great when they analyzed it and went back it, it was forward but then how the TMO didn't come to the conclusion it was forward I don't know and then no. there was the same today with a with a sail try. Um, you know, the commentators on there, well, that's definitely forward. There it goes. If it is. And then uh, I think the terminology was, yeah, no, no evidence to say you should overturn the rule. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that, 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 that can be a bit tricky. We, we, I mean, we, we still every week, I mean, I, I think my, my current big bugbear, and I think it's an easy fix is the Caterpillar ruck. Yeah. Um, and I think the easiest fix should be, and it's, I know it's another thing for the ref to think about, but on the basis, there's about 20, 30 of them in every single game. It surely should be is ball is ball is available at the time the ball is available, which you, when it's at the back of the ruck, you cannot then join the ruck. You can't then bind yeah. on and away you go. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you, simple. you very simple. I don't necessarily see. I'm sure there will be somebody going to pick will point out and go, oh, yeah, but that means that they can do this. But I think if when we got to a situation a few years ago where Exeter and then Saracens were having like six players in a catap- I mean, that was so farcical. I think they have sped it up a little bit, which means that you don't get that as much. But Gloucester do it, and it still is yeah, frustrating to watch there, um, when there we do it. There will always be always be something because what co- coaches or and directors or whoever they are have to be flexible thinkers. Yeah, I'm sure they're like I, I go to notes. Um, some people say I'm like a I'm like a mind map. You know, so you you said to me about some questions. Pick, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like a mind map, but because you've got to be thinking outside the box. So coaches will always come up with something. Uh, so, so say for instance, say we say say you and I sorted out the problem of the jackling at the breakdown. Mm. One fantastic flexible thinker would come around. Solutions probably the wrong term. Come around with a um, a very clever or devious method of overcoming any ruling you put in place. To, and and. And, and that's what it is. To get the game, it does develop. It it develops and edges out and flows. And as you said, the, the caterpillar was a disaster. But I mean, equally, it, it, the idea of play the ball in five minutes. Okay, play it in, in five seconds. Mm. Well, well, if they don't play it in five seconds, blow the whistle, give it to the opposition. Yeah, again, not, you've not, got to saying, yeah, you know, the laws it, are there it, and all these things yeah, are there, but you, yeah. they they very rarely use them. I think I saw. I think there was one, wasn't it? I think Gloucester had. Gloucester benefited. I can't. It was this season where I think um, whoever had it, it was it was a king's home. Someone took about ten seconds, and free kick was given, and and Gloucester got the ball. I think we then buggered up the scrum, but uh, uh, you know that's that's a standard thing. You we remember. I remember the things when we get wrong. Um, <laughs> so anyway, good things. We'll move on to good things. Um, obviously, watching rugby for a, a long time, and I, this doesn't have to be necessarily Gloucester players. I should say you mentioned a few. Um, superb X lines that um I could only dream of uh of meeting, let alone playing against. Um so who would you who are your favorite players 
growing up and and now would you say who when, the... when i was growing up i used to like watching the french um uh, back row duo jean-pierre reeve and uh, jean-claude scrayla mm-hmm. i don't know whether it's because their names were great or, but yeah they, they are good names know, aren't they and uh you know reeve would, would be charging around with his blonde hair flowing and blood dripping down his shit but scrayla uh the blind side was the guy that i i, I just used to watch what watch him playing and try and see what he was doing down the bike. He wasn't as flashy as the other, but but they, they were two that I I definitely um, enjoyed watching. But you know, I was thinking when when you did say I was thinking about Gloucester players. I mean, Simpson, Daniel, and James Forrester. Yeah. Were, they they would do things. I mean, number eights. I love seeing big you know number eights play. And Ben Ben Morgan, who's mm. retired now, is Ben. I mean, for the last few seasons, maybe people have thought we won't see much of Ben. And then even again this season, yeah. Ben starts the season really well. And it, he's a big guy and he's got good hands and he's put people into space. James Forrester was a completely different beast. He could run, step, twist. I mean, I, I can picture him now spinning out of tackles that they, they're talking about, you know, three quarters and, and, and centers doing now. So he was a great, uh, a great guy to watch. And, um, well, James. Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I remember James, James came to Northampton, or, or, or he was coming up into the uh, commentary box in Northampton to sit and be with us as a as a guest summarized presenter, and um, all along the box, so we were in the middle of the row, which meant that James obviously hadn't come up with the rest of us. He was going to come up five minutes before the kickoff, and he'd got his his uh, foot in one of those stormtrooper boots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're talking all along. So who's coming up with you guys? And oh, James Simpson. Oh, man, he's got magic feet. That guy. <laughs> so he must have trod on everybody's foot in that commentary box. As he came across there. So, he's, but yeah, re- re- really exciting. But then, as I say, I mean, when Santiago Carreras is going forward at the moment, is is there anybody better? Uh, to look, I mean, we, I mean, we talked about Marcus Smith, and he's done yeah, some yeah. fantastic things in that game uh, yesterday. But um, Santi Carrera, so how did he get? How does he get through there? I mean, how, how does he do it? I, th- I think there's there's certain plays. I mean, certainly James Simpson, Daniel, and James Forrester are. I just think the the, the sad thing on both of their careers really was injury blighted them in in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And at different times, um, I I'm convinced if James Forrester hadn't have been injured that seriously and had managed to continue at the the rate he was going, he would have been one of the all time great England back row players. I think he there, he was at that point where the England back row was just starting to uh, retire and that 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 that, yeah. uh, that guard you know the the, two, the World Cup winning team were being split up and he was about to make that step up and I'm convinced that he would have been. Um, the the, t- the player that would have taken us forward England yeah. forward for another five years, and then obviously Simbad, um, jo- and Joe Delomu. I mean that that's the clip that just keeps. Well, the yeah. the, the same game. I mean, you think you know Forrester uh, burns past Lomu, and then five minutes later Simbad. Well, in what was it? Fifth in about ten in five seconds makes Percy him. he makes but makes Percy Montgomery look like an absolute idiot. Burns Lomu. And then outpaces Christian Cullen. It's not bad. I mean, I can think of worse ways to score a try. Um, and I, it, it's just, I always thought I, he's the one player. I just think to myself, if if he'd been, I think it's well, as he said, if he'd been Welsh, he would have played eighty times, and he yeah. would have been a lion. And he, it's just unfortunately, he was in a time when England had a lot of amazing players. 
and, and, and injuries and, and illness kept he him out. Brought in at early times when Gloucester was starting an academy because um, do you remember John Haynes, my mate John John Haynes, mm-hmm. ran the academy at Gloucester for a while. And he lived in the village, and um, he said he said to me one day, "Oh, I've got some of the lads coming over," and uh, Simbad was one of one of the lads who were coming over, you know, and. Uh, John, what were you doing, John? Oh, there's a minibus going to pick us up. We're, we're going down, they were going down Westgate Street somewhere for breakfast and, you know, just uh, <laughs> to get together, you know. Yeah. And then it, they come on through and develop like that. But, I mean, you talk about players, I mean, it could, could be, but just looking at Gloucester, I mean, we, we Henry Trinder was mm-hmm. another who blighted by injury, who's yeah. fantastic skills. But then, um, Sopolo, Eliotta Fulmano Sopolo. Oh, yeah, wow. What a player to, to have at Gloucester, you know. Carlos Spencer. Mm. Carlos Spencer. We're talking about these players, and, and they've been at Gloucester, but Ian Jones. Oh, Ian Jones, yeah. I, I yeah. still remember the first time he came out. Uh, the first time he ever, he was, he hadn't, he wasn't playing. They announced him, and he came over and, and sort of got announced to the shed. And um, he subsequently, so my dad randomly met him in a few a few years ago. Uh, there was some sort of documentary they were doing in New Zealand about rugby in England, and then Gloucester were involved in some in some aspect. And Ian Jones was there, and um, yeah, he says it's still one of the greatest moments he's ever experienced in rugby. And you're like, really? You know, it's not. You, I think sometimes we diminish Gloucester a little bit. We 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 we've got this sort of them versus us thing. We actually don't realise how special it is. And the thing about Gloucester is I was talking to a guy uh, today who'd um, had some friends come over from, um, they, they, where'd they come from? They come from um, Spain, I think, and they were football supporters. Yeah. yeah. As, as, as a trick, they, took, they, they got tickets and went to the uh, Harlequins game the other Friday night. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he said, the guy came out, he said, I cannot, I just, I just can't believe um, the atmosphere because then they went down into the bar afterwards yep. and everybody's having a great time and just the the, the swell of emotion during the game he, and I just said he just couldn't stop talking about it so the next day we, you know we're up for breakfast what we're going to do all the conversation was about it, it, it is a special atmosphere I mean I know we all go on a, about the idea of parade and array and it's not just the shed the shed is great because mm. it's down there yeah. it's a low volume and boom it, it it's it's coming at you, and and there's some some characters in there. I, I remember early days. Um, I was doing pitch side work with the radio, with a radio mic. Go round now. This is this was a uh, this was a this would test your nerve. See if you can get some live crowd interviews, Andy. So <laughs> you could walk up to someone. Somebody would walk towards you, and you could tell by the look in their eyes whether you're going to literally sneak the round, the microphone behind your back, or you could carry on with the interview. But uh, I was still teaching uh, at the time at church then, and I'm I'm walking across in front of the shed, and uh, all of a sudden I hear, Mr. Wyman, Mr. Wyman, and then they're going to be a bit cheeky and they say, Andy, Andy. <laughs> and then as I as I look up, I can see like a whole phalanx of a couple hundred people look across at this kid, and then the hundred fifty hundred people go. Mr. Weimer! <laughs> it's, just, it, it's just the way it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so what players, what players must um, get from it is, is incredible, I would, I would say. Well, I think, I think it tells you a lot that even the likes of, you know, Austin Healy and Danny Kerr and Joe Marler and Brian Moore back in the day, you know, they all, they all, um, they all love the shed, really. I think it's that, it, because it's, there's nothing really else like it, I don't think, in no. English rugby. Um, it's so close. 
it is. You don't realize how close it is to go. You go to other grounds, and you know everybody's mm. that 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 bit further away. Yeah, I think even you know, I mean, people. I've heard people talk about um, the Crumby Terrace at Leicester, and I remember going to Northampton when it was the old. Was it Gordon Terrace? The yes, and similar. They said really low things. Mm. I suppose they were very similar, but I, I do think the shed. It's just a little bit. It's just dialed up a little bit. I think in terms yeah. of the. The Last year, of... when we went to Rodney Parade, did you go down to Rodney Parade? To I didn't go to that game, but I, I'm, yeah, I, well, I was. I mean, the, 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 that ground is similar, and it was like the shed on tour. Yes, there were so, so many close, people there. Yeah. Because it was so close, and it was a Welsh. It, it, it was just a sea of cherry and white, mm. you know, and and because the stand was so low there, it was it was almost like a, you know, like a replica. It was it was the shed on tour. It was... Yeah. So going to favorite games, then I suppose. So I mean, I, I that you know I. I could talk for hours on 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 games I remember and um, talk about Northampton. That was one of my one of my favourite ever games was a Northampton away game. We hadn't Gloucester hadn't won for over a year away, um, and we went down there and I think we we uh, we picked and goed for about eight minutes just consecutively. You can't do that now, obviously, but it was just pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. And we won, and I always remember at the end of the game, the Gloucester fans in the Gordon Terrace as it was like cheering as if we'd won the league and it was just an away game. Um, and, uh, and then it, and the points we won actually got wiped off because we'd forgotten to register Martin Kimber. It would, he didn't even get on the pitch. He was just on the bench, on the bench yeah. and he forgot to register and we lost the points anyway. So that was again, Gloucester is, you know, they'll always find a way. Um, your favorite games though. Um, well, the other Friday night against Harlequins is, is gotta be right up there. Mm-hmm. Because of the, the style of play and the result, but I mean, there was a spell when we we, we were doing what we did well in the European Challenge Cup. Yeah. So we went to the Stoop and beat Edinburgh. Yes, in that final. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we went to um, to um, to Scotland, mm-hmm. um, and it was it Stade Francais. Stade Francais up at Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. And then we went to Bilbao. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that was. I mean, when when you want to talk to people, in, I, I'm so fortunate to be able to do something with with um, a local radio station. I, I mean, mm. it's a little bit like being working for um, BBC Radio Manchester and somebody saying, "Right, well, you're going to go for Cover Manchester United." Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're going to go. You're going to go to Barcelona on Wednesday. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So we go to Bilbao. You know, mm. and, it, and it, it, I mean that that was an amazing occasion because around the city during the day, it was I bumped into. Um, Peter Ford and Mickey Booth then at the time. Yeah. And um, of course they they call me the Lydney boy and give me some stick. And <laughs> so I've got the radio mic with me. So we're outside a coffee shop. So we're in the middle of Bilbao. And so I say, hey, we, hey boys, how did you get here today? Well, we flew from Bristol. Says, no, we didn't. Says Booth, we come from Birmingham. Oh, we thought we came from Bristol. No, we didn't. <laughs> so we flew into and it, and it was going. <laughs> So I said, "What a, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it, though, guys? You know, we we're, we're it's like traditional Anglo-Welsh fixture. Here we are, and we're playing we're playing Cardiff. <laughs> what a fantastic traditional fixture that is!" And Mickey Booth looked at me and said, "Yeah, Andy, mine. In our day, we used to play Cardiff all the time. The only difference was we didn't have to take our pajamas." And 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 I mean, it was it, it was a great occasion, but. Um, where was it? We when we were in Edinburgh, you you, you were saying um, you know the media circus after mm. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the game. So down in the bottom, I've got the radio mic on, 
uh, in Edinburgh because I'm, I'm doing the interviews and all the players can buy. Now, an, another player I really like, Sergio Parisi. Oh, yeah, incredible so player. He, yeah, incredible player. So he's playing. And so they're talking to me in the station. They're saying, Andy, have you got now? Have you got now? Oh, yeah, I've got some. Yeah, yeah, here's you on. I've got to get you on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here's Sergio Parise. He's winning for me. Yeah, but we don't want him, Andy. We're... No, no. <laughs> Sergio Parise. I, he's, he's coming to me now. He's coming to me now. Yeah, but he didn't play for us, Andy. We don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want the no. one of the great, all-time great back row players. Yeah. He's not it a was, it was player. just, it was... The, the other way around, I was desperate to speak to him because I mean, we, we uh, it's, it's all a time element. You're trying to get as many glossy reactions yeah. as before the program ends. And, oh, no, no, we don't want to vision for his season. <laughs> I, I do think, I mean, so for this season, um, it's, it's, I mean, I look today, we're, I think, glossy is seventh as we yeah. speak, with because obviously we had the bye week and the fixtures have, have some fixtures have gone well, some fixtures not so well for Gloucester. Um, the next home game, which is next Sunday against Leicester. Leicester I mean, yeah. it was always going to be a huge game, but now that feels like it. Well, every game's a must win, but that feels they're like in, they're in third, aren't they? They are now in third, and and I, is it four? They've got four points more than us. Um, right? I believe so. I'm just going to quickly check as we're so, speaking. So, as you say, if it's four, or if it's five, you know that makes it. They're in third place, and it's that close. So it is a massive game. Mm. Uh, they are four points in front, yeah. Right. And you look at that. You look at it, and it. So I think we can safely say now, Saracen Sale, yeah. pretty much guaranteed home court, home semis. Um, it would take an awful drop in form, and everyone else is going. And also, everyone else is playing each other, so it's unlikely they're going to catch them now. Leicester are third with forty three. Northampton are fourth with forty three. Irish fifth with forty one. Quinns uh, sixth with thirty nine. Gloucester seventh with thirty nine. Exeter eight for thirty-eight, and Bristol, who a couple of weeks ago were yeah. out of it, yeah. um, you know, two back-to-back wins. They're now uh, ninth for thirty-six. You've got, well, you know, you've got six, seven teams there that could all qualify yeah. for the top Absolutely. four. It, that you know, now Gloucester have got to win the home games. So I think that's yeah. pretty much it, really. And then hope to get a, one of those away wins that would probably get us top four. But do you? Th- I mean. Newcastle on a Friday night, which is never, never no a great place to go. No, we, I mean, we're very good. It's a bit of a journey this. anyway to get there to do the commentary on a Friday night, but it's not. I mean, I know they had a good win there uh, last year. But it's, last season, yeah, it was a good win it's there. Not, there wasn't it? It's not a great happy hunting ground for Gloucester. No. Um, and, and if you watch Quinns against Exeter, you, you'd look and think, but, but uh, we, before we came on, we, I, I was saying about the Bristol game. Mm. Friday night, you wouldn't think that was the same team a week later. No, they were amazing, no, absolutely amazing. Blue Northampton completely out of the water, obviously 60 points. And then Harlequins, um, Harlequins Exeter, you know, it was it was a no contest in the end, yeah. So those those two are, you know, they're they're Quins in particular, I think, are the ones we've got to uh work for. Leicester have done it sneakily somehow, haven't they? Yeah, they've won. I mean, I'm looking, but this is a, this is the interesting thing actually. Looking at this to this season, outside of Saracens and Sale, I think actually it's incredibly competitive and it's very exciting. Yeah. But actually, there's not a huge amount to choose from. And I would even argue that I think Sale are very beatable. Um, and I think if you Saracens, it's a little bit different. You, you, you know, they've lost a couple now in the last few weeks. But I do feel with Saracens that they're they are away, they are seem to be a level above, and obviously they are missing a lot of England players and, and key players. But I, I do think with Gloucester this season, or I, well, I suppose the question is, 
is is top four should that be seen as the minimum requirement for Gloucester or are we being too big headed and and uh, about this it should should we just say look Champions Cup rugby that's the minimum and then anything other that's a bonus or should we say the progression should be top four considering we finished fifth last year well yes I I, I think that's a fair supposition the idea that we finished fifth last year we want to improve on what we were doing last year because we've more or less got a very similar squad um the input some of the less of the Worcester players has made a difference mm. yeah, yeah certainly yeah. I, I, I think that's a fair I think that's a fair aim we want to improve on what we were doing last year but as you say when you you, you look at how many other clubs can be saying a similar thing the strange thing is is that when you're in the so we work, 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 work to get into the European um, competition, mm. and then response to it was a bit, a little bit lukewarm, wasn't it? You know, I went to some games with hardly people there. You know, you thought, wow. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's. I think obviously from the club's point of view, financial point of view, it's always seemed to be that the Champions Cup is a minimum because of the revenue that is generated yeah. from the the TV rights, if nothing else. Um, I do think. Or my personal opinion, I don't know whether this is shared amongst the, the wider support, but the impression is I don't think people particularly like the format that it is at the moment. That seems to be a a big minus to the to where people view it. It's, there's no jeopardy. You know, we can go out yeah. and win two games. And don't be wrong, I was in Bordeaux and it was wonderful. It was a fantastic yeah. uh, weekend and a great win. But Bordeaux were very average. For a very, you know, for a supposedly good French team, they were very average. I thought, and um, whereas in the old days, those group group of four pool games, where you know we'd have to play Munster back to back, and you knew that we had to win the home game to have any hope of getting through. Um, on the basis you're never going to win at home, and so um, I don't know. I think that that to me it, it seems was easier to, be... to understand where you were. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it was easier to get your head around, as you've just alluded to. It's easy. It's easier to get around. Right, Gloucester need to be doing this need to be doing that but as you say uh, two wins this time and you still gone through you know it's mm. yeah. do, you, do, you, do you, I mean realistically La Rochelle away what you what do you reckon I, I'm I'm thinking go over and give it a good go but I'm not expecting a huge amount yeah I, I when we were shuffling around doing this the other uh, the other room I, I I wasn't sure whether we were going to be on camera and I was looking mm. at the light because the other room that I was in is I've, I've got poster um so it wasn't the last time we went to La Rochelle it was the time before I think the Nicky Robinson crowd played. Yeah. Um, and they do a fantastic poster of, of the front of, of a sailing ship plowing through the water and, and you know, the stadium and, and the opposition put on it. La Rochelle is, is, is a... When we went there the first time, La Rochelle was one of those French teams that, you know, could do well, could fall apart. They've, they've uh, transformed themselves into... Yeah. Uh, into a completely different unit, and, and Ronan O'Gara. There's another example of being in the in the media um, circuit after the game. Ronan O'Gara. We went across to the Miracle Game in Munster. Mm. We were 25 points up and and lost it. In the mm. And he he came in to the um, he came into the into the media room, and that guy had got some sort of aura better do you know do you ever look at people something that you really that, and they just have a look in their eye that yeah uh, you think hang on he, he he is something special you know and when you listen to him analyzing games from a coaching point of view he is he has transferred all his skills and all his record-breaking performances from Munster into 
he's, he's turned himself into a coach and he's, he's gone to, you know, um, to France. So he's communicating with those players and turned them into a, an absolutely formidable unit, really. So yeah. I, as you can tell from the way I'm building that, I, I think it's going to be amazingly difficult. Yes, I agree. But I think, I, I just, But Gloucester can go and play. And if they go, um, if they go decide, right, we're going to go and play, we're going to give this uh, our, our best shot. And if things click, click, click in the first five, ten minutes, it, it, it can sort of transpose the mindset. And then, right, we're in this. You know, if you're, if you're under the cosh, so maybe you've got, I think you've got the right approach. You've got, you might as well go and play the first 10, 15 minutes because you're going to be under the cosh at some stage in the game. So let's not do it right from the start. Let's go ahead and take it to them. Yeah, I, I just think with, with so my, my view on the French teams is, and it's, it, it may be a bit old-fashioned, but the, you still see it. And I think Bordeaux is a good example, actually, away. Um, Bordeaux are a very big, bulky team. And I thought what was interesting against Bordeaux away, and I was surprised we didn't actually do this against Northampton away because Gloucester did it at home really well. And I, again, I haven't seen the Bristol-Quinns game, but I've been told that Bristol particularly looked to move the ball quickly, move the ball around, really mm. um, move Northampton out of shape. And what was interesting in the in the, the pre-European competition uh, thing they had at King's Home uh, back in November, it was, I think it was, they talked about the Bordeaux team and how they're very, very unstructured. And actually the best way to play against them is to play, is to play quite structured because they can't really deal with that. Um, and you don't kick it to their back three, etc. cetera. Um, with La Rochelle, with Ogara, they're clearly a very structured side, which is very different to most French teams. And I, I just get the impression that we probably need to be pretty unstructured against them, which we don't, haven't really done this season, with the exception, I would say, probably of Northampton at home and maybe Exeter at home. Um, yeah. I think we, you know, we clearly the whole idea is Gloucester wanted. I mean, I think George Skivington's mentioned this before. He wants to play a very similar way to Leinster, which they're incredibly structured. They just do the, like the best you can ever possibly play it. Um, I don't know. That, I don't know what your impression is when you're watching these games. Do you get the same? The thing, thing? Is, the thing is with those we were talking earlier about the idea of. Um, I always remember people. There was. There was. A, a, let's not mention the coach, but I managed to get hold of of a playbook, a Gloucester rugby playbook. Now we're going back in the early days of the professional era. And this playbook dictated what happened, where the ball was won in the lineup. And it went through five phases. Who was going to carry this contact? Who was going to carry? And that's what was going to happen come hell or high water or what the players were going to be trying to do as soon as the ball went from the set phase. Now, that that that's all very well because if if you if you're coaching, um, if you're coaching school teams and things, and you've got a bunch of kids, if you can organise them and get them to play in a pattern, so if they can set off from a set phase and they can play one two phases, and so that you can go to the first contact, win win the ball, you know, and mm. then you're playing with your heads up, boys. Look where the spaces are, you, and you've got that bit of organisation to start. That that can be successful. But when a coach is trying to impose on a team, yeah. this is what, he, and so it's more like American football. Yes. Then you you it's it's not going to happen, and so like as you're you're saying, I think La Rochelle like to play a structured game, and they also like to be structured in defence. Yeah, they can be as structured as they want to be in defence if they know what's coming at them. If they know the Gloucester are going to play these phases off, that then they defend, they set up their shape to defend that. 
if if as you say uh gloucester come and go at them they were they were talking um today about uh nick evans nick mm. evans coaching style is pace over shape yeah so you might be going to run these patterns but what you're going to need to be doing it at pace and if somebody's not quite in in the position they should react but it's pace yeah and then you know you, you even if somebody's set up opposite you you can you can beat the space with pay. E, e, even to the degree if somebody isn't quite where they should be, the defenders expecting them as well, so they've moved to where they're going to be. So I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think certainly the Nick Evans strategic, and I think you can start to, started to see it with England. What's disappointing, I think, particularly with England, is the fact that Nick Evans is not going to be there. Yes. After the Six Nations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is a shame because I think you can just start to see, you're starting to see it just click um um and as we've said before we came uh, and we started recording i did mention that obviously marcus smith had a superb game for quins yesterday and um i think it's i i you know personal personal preferences and all that i just think smith for me is he seems to be the the the, the player you would want to have in that situation but then you know that you, that you enjoy watching it that's the thing isn't it it's, see, it's the other the other thing that happens as well is the coaches will be analysing how he plays. And they just don't analyse what he does. They'll analyse his body shape, where he's facing, what he's looking for. And they will then structure their defence, not necessarily yeah. to put pressure on him, to close down space in a place that he normally runs. You know, if he does that little step and goes to the end. Little, yeah. so they'll, they'll, send a, they'll send a runner into this. So he doesn't get away with it. He just, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is difficult. And I, I get, um, I mean, Owen Farrell gets... Um, he gets a lot of flack sometimes. Mainly from, I mean, we're we we're, we're not fans. <laughs> I'll be honest, the pod, we're not then, fans. <laughs> he is just like he has the same presence about him as Ronan O'Gara. Mm-hmm. So we go to Saracens earlier in the season and Gloucester play out of their skin. Yeah, there are seconds left on the clock and Gloucester are in front. It, as as the clock's going red, Saracens score a try to draw the game. It is right out in the corner. Yeah. So I, I say, I, I think it was Lloyd, um, Lloyd Evans I was interviewing after the game. So Lloyd, you know, after that monumental effort in that game, was everybody behind the posts, um, you know, fingers crossed or whatever the superstition is to, you know, see that Owen Farrell's going to miss the kick. And he just looked me straight in the face. He said, hey, nobody on our side ever thought that he was going to miss. Mm. The, the guy is, he, he's different gravy. And, you know, when you when you're walking back up through the tunnel by him, he's just, as I say, like Ronan Agar, he's got that, that, that um, aura about him. He's a very the, special player. The mentality side of things, isn't yeah, it? That's absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think, I do think it, it is personal taste and, and personal preference and style of play. And maybe I like, I think it's probably just the fact that I, you know, my dad's preference has always been the mercurial Yes. 10, I sort of rubbed off on me. And I think that probably is an element of it. You know, there's some people like the fairly bog standard, like shift it, pass it, kick it, you know, which is, and I, don't, I think that does a bit of a disservice to Farrell because he did does clearly have a lot of talent and skill. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the romantic side of me yeah. thinks that I, I'd like to have Smith playing and, more. And if you think of our games, the games that are excited this time, we've already talked about Santa Carreras in games. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the game at London Irish, um, that uh, Adam Hastings... Oh, yeah, they, they, the ridiculous that. drop goal. Yeah, 
yeah. And I mean, he'd had a he, he got injured in that game as well. He mm. but, but he'd had he, it was almost like the Kevin Keegan style of uh, of football. Well, we might let in three goals, but we're going to score. We're going to score, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and uh, but that game. And so 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 we're both saying the games that we're picking out and enjoying are the ones where the mercurial fly half mm. is dragging you to the edge of your seat to look and see what he's doing next. Yeah, no, I agree. Like England to do it. We'd like, yes, we would do, yeah. And and, and sort of final thing then on on, on that. Um, so obviously England World Cup this year. Um, week four of us are going. We're going to Lille and we're going to have a great time. Um, some of it will involve rugby. Um, I think a lot of it will involve beer, but there we go. Um, what's your what's your thoughts? Who do you think is going to going to win it? Ireland, France, New Zealand, someone else? Uh, well, the, the the thing is, I, I would say that um, home home advantage is a big thing. So I'm, you know, my head is saying, well, there are three things really. This is a real cop out. My head is saying <laughs> Ireland are going to win it, but mm-hmm. my heart is saying French rugby is very, very passionate, yeah. and they they are on a bit of a roll, and they've got Sean Edwards in there giving them that little bit of steel in it. But um, the only thing that worries me a little bit is we haven't heard a lot about the All Blacks lately. No, which no. is always a worry. But yeah. So I, what am I going to say? I'm going to say. I'm going to say. I, I'm going to say France on home territory. France on home territory. It's what's great is that the whole tournament kicks off with the France New Zealand game, mm. which is just superb. I mean, you can't ask for a better start at the Stade de France. I think it's at the Stade de France, isn't it? Stade de France, France New Zealand, first game, crack on, and you, that determines obviously then whoever wins that determines the quarterfinals and who's playing who. Um. But yeah, we we were just saying the other day though we, we we're um, we're looking forward to Wales having to qualify for the next World Cup. That's going to be really entertaining. Listen, I live very very close to the border over this side, so I'm not going to join <laughs> in that. We'll wait till we'll wait till November, and we get to we look to see Wales having to play the likes of Spain or Netherlands to to qualify. But anyway, you've got a wicked side, Ian Reid. Oh, very much so. I was at university there for for three years, and it's amazing how much um how much your your view of it changes uh i was very indifferent before i went to swansea and became quite passionate about um about us getting one over them only because it means i can actually use my i can use social media for a few weeks but that's about it really andy thank you so much i really appreciate your time and um now that you may or may not be aware um that um the the tradition is and yet no one has yet to actually take me up on this um apart from bill who is the bill batterstone who's an american supporter who came over a uh, last follows, year he follows uh pings me on twitter yes so bill's bill is superb and he's the only person yet that have actually managed to do this too so i have to offer a beer to anybody i talk to um uh, on the pod so you are obviously going to be included in this now you will be working likely at the ground Tell so we'll have, yes so i'm gonna have to try and sneak that one in but more than happy to to we'll do maybe do it half time because no one will notice it'll be fine um just slightly slurred when you're announcing santi carreras's next try um but yeah uh, so obviously you need to offer that um and then um i'm sure hopefully fingers crossed will be this there's going to be a successful season for Gloucester, and we'll be having a pint at twickenham at the end of the year maybe that would be good it would be good um but thank you very much andy i really appreciate your time and we'll speak again i'm sure um and uh, if i if i i'll keep an eye out for you on sunday and they well that pint is always available for you Brilliant. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.